This morning, if I sound deeper, it's because I am. So I'm going to be drinking water all morning, so if I have a coughing fit, just kind of ignore me, okay? I'll get over it sometime. If you have your Bible this morning, turn with me into the book of Acts once again. Uh, We'll be looking at chapter 13 today, 13 and 14. Last week, we looked at chapter 12, and as we looked at chapter 12 of Acts and our journey through the book of Acts, we discovered uh, some things about the early church and uh, about uh, some things that happened about prayer. I hope you were here last week. It was an important week talking about the importance of prayer in our lives. But uh, today we talk about something that's uh, very important as well. Uh, everything in the book of Acts, in a sense, is uh, is very applicable, very important for us because it describes in, in, in a, a almost like a, a picture album of what the early church looked like and how that early church depended upon God's Holy Spirit. And as they worked and they grew as a church, the things that a healthy church really looks like. And it wasn't a perfect church, as we will find out next week, or actually two weeks from now as we look at Acts chapter 15. But it was a church that had some difficulties. But at the same time, it was a church that was doing things uh, in a real sense that, that every church should be doing. Um, in Ch- Acts chapter, uh, the last part of Acts, Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 30, then Acts, Acts chapters 13 and 14 kind of all go together as a message. It's kind of a story there of the first church uh, that actually sent out missionaries, uh, actually commissioned people to go out and to become missionaries. And we'll be looking at that today. Uh, in Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, it says this, uh, while they were worshiping, the church was worshiping the Lord, uh, worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Uh, these are the first real, what we call true missionaries that were sent out by a church, uh, Barnabas and, uh, and Paul. And uh, just a few weeks ago, um, if you remember, Chris spoke about Acts chapter 9 where he talked about the conversion of a guy named Saul who became Paul and how, how he went through this process of God uh, working in his life and now we see him being sent out as a missionary. Now when we think about this, why go out? Remember in Acts 1.8 it says that we're to go and to be witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's one thing. And then also one of the very per, uh, things that, that Christ said himself in, in uh, Matthew 28 and the great, what we call the Great Commission, he says, Therefore go, go, and make disciples of all nations, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. It's embedded, it's, it's ingrained, it's, it's a very central part of the message of the New Testament that we as people are not just about us. Uh, it's not about us. It's about us being used by God to reach the people in our community, uh, in our in our surrounding state and in our world, and so it's it's part of the DNA of any healthy church that we are ascending church that we're a church that not only uh, encourages people and, and supports people but we send my my prayer my goal uh, and, and I think it's a goal that all of us need to have in regards to the church is that we will have people raised up out of Great Oaks that will become missionaries and be sent. Uh, to places as well. We've had people that have in our church that have been uh, mission kids and and uh, have been missionaries and have done different things during the year. But uh, I know that God, in a real sense, He continues to raise up people to be called to different places. 
Uh, I was uh, talking to uh, uh, Steve Nelson, who finally got back from Mali, by the way, uh, a couple of, about a week or so ago, a couple of weeks ago, and um, <clears throat> got an email from him. And I shared with you that next week we're going to be interviewing, I'm going to be interviewing a couple, uh, Troy and Jerry Masters, who were commissioned to go to Mali as missionaries this fall. Uh, they'll be going to the Yolanka people, where I, which I visited. But I also got word uh, yesterday or a couple days ago that we as a denomination have commissioned three other people, uh, another couple uh, from uh, uh, that's a youth pastor in another church is going as missionaries to the Yolanka. And another young lady um, who is uh, graduating from Taylor this year who's going, who's been commissioned uh, as a missionary to the Yolanka as well. And so all these people are, are going through this process of God sending them out. And, and, and we're going to be talking about why that's so important. Um, but today, instead of just talking about the missionary journey, because we will, I will share a little bit about the journey, the first journey there that they went on, I really want to focus on the message. Because the reason that we send people out, that God calls us to go out, is not just to go and to you know, travel and, you know, and whatever. Our purpose is to go and to share a message. And in the very first recorded message that uh, that uh, Paul uh, preaches, and we don't know if the first one he actually spoke, probably not, but the first recorded one, we see this message prominent, and we see it throughout all the messages we'll see throughout the rest of the book of Acts as we study it as well. But as I was looking to ways to illustrate the message today and the and the um, <clears throat> and the story that's here today, uh, I found it came across uh, something that happened uh, about uh, four years ago. Out on the West Coast in the state of, I think it was either Washington or Oregon, two small college teams, two girls softball teams were uh, getting ready to play a game. And uh, they had been in competition with each other, and there were, no, there were small college teams, and, and uh, they were getting ready to play a game. And in the midst of this game, something miraculous happens in, in a real sense that illustrates the point that Scripture is making today. So I'll tell you what, before we do anything else, let's watch this first part of this video this morning, okay? In a small town in the middle of Washington State. Isn't that mean of me to stop this video right there? <laughs> you see, that's the problem. Uh, the problem is that she was at first base, and because of her injury, she couldn't go further. But the problem was, is according to the rules, the standard uh, that was in softball, uh, her teammates couldn't help her. And so what does she do? You see, I think this in a real sense describes the problem that you and I have. It's the problem that Paul's going to describe as he goes on his missionary journey. We've fallen too. Uh, we've broken promises. Uh, we try to do what is right and we fail. We're inconsistent. We've fallen. And we want to get home. We want to get to home. We want to get to heaven. But the problem is, how can we? What does God do with people like us, fallen people? Well, the Apostle Paul liked to answer that question. Really, that was the, the central message of every story that he told as he went around. And this was just the first today, as we talk about the first missionary journey that he went on. It was the theme of his first recorded sermon. And uh, to save time today, I'm not going to read the whole thing. You can go back in chapter 13. Most of chapter 13 is the first recorded sermon that Paul uh, shared. And it says this, though, the, the theme of it, and really the gist of the sermon is, is actually in verses 38 and 39. 
And these uh, two verses are, are, are really the theme, the core of everything that uh, Paul wanted to st- speak about. And he says this, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. That through Jesus, the, the, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. A justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. He was talking here to Jewish people. And so the way they tried to get to God was through the law of Moses, through keeping the law. If he'd have been talking to the Yolanka people, uh, and he would have been, they would have been saying, well, he would have said to them, well, you can't, you've been trying to do it through your Muslim religion or through your animistic religions and having fetishes, uh, uh, these, uh, these things, these, these amulets and things that try to ward off the evil spirits. He said, that hasn't worked for you, has it? He said, so your relationship with God is determined not by any of those things, but it's through Jesus that the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And Paul knew well what it meant to stumble and to fall. He was, if you remember back a few weeks ago, as, as Chris shared about the story of the Damascus Road experience and, Paul, and Saul's conversion, uh, Saul was a guy who uh, was very religious. He was considered uh, the Jew of all Jews. He was the person who, the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was, he was kind of like the sheriff who rode in the town and took care of all the people who were not following his, his, his religion and his way. He was kind of like a moral policeman. And, and as we know, he rounded up and actually killed and, and was a part of killing Christians. But he came to understand something on the Damascus Road. He, he knew he'd fallen and he could not get up and he could not get past first base. And he was trying to figure out how to do that. And then he encountered the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and the rest of the story is now we see him years later here. In Acts chapter 13, 14, he's been through a process of God working in his life and changing him. And now we see him on the first missionary, on the first missionary team with, with Barnabas. It's interesting, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, but it's interesting this first missionary journey. When we read in scripture, we sometimes don't get the, the thrust of how long something takes. Let me give you a quick map here. Let's go to the next slide. This quick map here is a, is a map of, of, of this first missionary journey. It starts off in, way over here on the right side over here in Antioch. And that's Antioch in Syria. That's a, there's two or three different Antiochs in that area. It starts there and he goes down, uh, and it goes and it crosses and it goes to the island of Cyprus and he visits Salamis and Patphos. You just read through the scripture. You see this. And then he goes from there and he goes up to, to Perga and then, he, uh, and then he goes on up to Antioch. And it's another Antioch, a different Antioch. And he goes across to, to uh, Iconium and Lystra and Derby. And then he makes his way back through those places to encourage the people. And this whole journey, it looks like, you know, there's a small map. Like, oh, man, we could do that in a day or two, right? No, this is three years. This was a three-year journey of going and sharing the gospel. As you read the story here, and I encourage you to go back and read chapter 13 and 14. As you read the story of what went on, you find that the journey was not a journey without its, without its problems. Because everywhere he went, it seemed like he would encounter people who pushed back against, uh, back, back against the gospel. But back against the message, the simple message that through Jesus Christ, your sins can be forgiven. But this, this is basically, though, this, these, let's go back to these verses in the next slide. These verses here, this, this core message, though, is, is therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins 
The forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. That's the core of the message. That's why we, you and I, are called, and we are called as a church to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. It's not just to do good, but to do the best. And the best is this, that every person everywhere in the world who's trying to find their way to God, get past first base in a real sense, and they're trying to do it on their own power, does not have the power to do that. And when Paul wrote these words, uh, said these words through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. You know, in our culture today, many people in our culture might say, well, what's the big deal? Because we live in a culture where, where people don't make a big deal about sin. They really don't. I thought it was kind of amazing and amusing in a sense that when Tiger Woods went through his problems, what was it been a couple of years now, something like that, and he, uh, he posted a sentence on his webpage, and this is what he posted on his webpage, one sentence. It says, I have let my family down, and I regret those transgressions with all my heart. Well, when he put that, that sentence down, do you know what happened the next day? There's, after that statement appeared on his webpage, the word transgressions topped the Google Trends most watched and searched words. People didn't have a clue what the word transgressions meant. Do we know what a transgression is? Do we, do we understand what sin means? Leave it up to the Apostle Paul to give us a one-sentence answer. In Romans 3.23, he said, this is what it is. This is what transgression. For everyone, he says, has sinned. And we all fall short of God's glorious, <clears throat> glorious standard. God says, I want you to go around the bases. And, and you know, the problem is we can't get past first base. What is God's standard? He says we all fall short of it. So what is God's standard? Well, it says in, 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 in Genesis, going all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, in the Garden of Eden, he created man and woman. And how did he create man and woman? In his image. In his image. You know what that means literally? It literally means we are to be the representation of God to others. We should speak as he speaks, act as he acts, behave as he behaves. You know, literally, if we are the representation of God to others, when we walk into the room, what should happen is people should say, well, God is in the room. Well, I don't know about you, but my wife has not accused me of that any time recently. But that's what it is to be the exact representation of Jesus Christ, to be created in God's image. The standard is to be like God. But you and I have fallen short of God's glorious standard. Paul says it clearly in Scripture. We just can't meet that standard. We can try as hard as we can and still not measure up to the standard. But the good news is this. It has been done. But only one person who ever lived upon this earth, his name was Jesus Christ. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this. It says, for God made Christ who never sinned, who never sinned. To be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Every word that Jesus Christ went, he reflected the image of God. Not once did he turn left when he should have turned right. Not once was he silent when he was supposed to speak. Not once was he, was he silent when he was, uh, in any way when he should have spoken up. But it says he was tempted in every way, yet without sin, in Hebrews 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way that we have, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And so the standard is, is to be sinless like Jesus. Where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? You know, we have our occasional moments. We do. But how many of us could raise our hand and say, you know, I'm not done very well this week, but for the next 24 hours, I am going to be God's perfect example. I'm not going to have a bad thought. I'm not going to have an action that's outside of God's plan. Anybody here want to raise their hand and, and volunteer to do that? I don't think so. My hand is down too. None of us can do it. We all, we've all stumbled or stuck on first base and, and with no way of getting any further. We're, we're hanging out there and we need some, need some help from somewhere from some way outside of ourselves. What we need to do is we need somebody like a young lady named Mallory Holtzman and what she did for Sarah Dukowski. You remember where we left off Sarah a while ago? Where was she? First base, still stuck on first base, torn ACL, excruciating pain, can't make it any further. She knows she's going to do more damage if she goes any further. And, and the umpire said, if your teammates help you, what, what happens? You're out. Or the other option is, is to stay on first base, having somebody to come over and substitute, and you don't, your home run, what you've hit over the fence doesn't count. I mean, what do you do? Let's, let's, let's find out what, uh, Mallory did. Okay? Watch this. That's when Central Washington's Mallory Holtman, a player with more home runs than any other in conference history. Why was the solution that Mallory did for Sarah the perfect solution? Is it because, it's because it rewarded the player, but it still honored the standard. The standard said that a player had to touch every base. The standard said that none of her teammates could assist her. But Mallory came up with an idea. The one who could help her carried her home. And you'll see, it's the same with us. That's what we need. We need someone who will carry us home. Someone who could come to us and say, if you will let me, I will carry you home. That's kind of interesting, wasn't it? Mallory went to Sarah and said, if you will let me. You know, Sarah could have said, no. She could have been prideful and go, no. But she let her do that. You know, I, don't, I want you to understand something. No one else can accept Christ for you. No one else can carry you home. I can't do it for you. Because I have my own need for someone to carry me home. Your parents can't do it for you. Your grandparents can't do it for you. What we need is someone from the outside to carry us. Someone who has no injury. Someone who has not fallen. Who has not stumbled. Ever. And the only person with those credentials is Jesus Christ. And that's what sets Christianity apart from every other religious system in the whole world. It's about grace. You know, the difference in the story was that, yeah, Sarah had hit a home run, and so she, in a sense, she deserved to go home. But none of us have hit a home run. We don't deserve it. 
But God chooses in His grace and His give us unmerited favor to carry us around the bases. And that's what Paul was saying when he said these words. We are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is declared right with God. Not because we deserve it, but because God has chosen to do that for you and for me. And he comes to us, and as we're sitting on first base in pain and agony and in our sin, he says to us, can I carry you home? And we have to respond. In 1 Peter 2.24 it says, He Himself, Christ, bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By His wounds we have been healed. See, God takes the initiative. He does the work. He, He shoulders the responsibility. He ensures our delivery. Salvation from beginning to end is the work of God. And He comes to us and He says, If you will let me, I will carry you. And we can say no or we can say yes. He doesn't force us. But without him, we will never get past first base. Today, there's two groups of people here in this room. Just two groups. That's all there is. The first group is those people who are allowing God to carry them home. You're in process. You said yes to Jesus Christ. Yes, I can't do it on my own. I admit that I'm a sinner. I'm in need of God. I have no way of making it home without help. And we turn to Christ and He's in the process of taking us there. And if you're allowing Christ to carry you, uh, I want to share, share with you this morning, you need to offer prayers of thanksgiving for that. And you just need to keep trusting Him. And be grateful for His grace. But there's another group of people in this room, and those are those persons who have not said yes to him yet. And if you've never accepted his invitation, there is only one question. And as he comes and asks you, that question is, will you let him carry you home? And you don't have to go another day of life without that question being answered. Because salvation is a simple is understanding that without Christ, we have no hope. But with Christ, and trusting in Christ, and allowing what He's done for us to be the core, central thing in our life, then we can go home, that we have hope. I would encourage you this morning, as we close our service in just a moment, as we sing a song, if you've never made that commitment to Christ to say yes to Him. That you would go over to the prayer room and talk with somebody and allow them to explain to you the very basic basic things that it it takes to say yes to Christ. It's It's not a hard thing. But you have to be willing to admit you can't do it on your own. That's the first step. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakcc.org.